241. Wow, man. Welcome to the Windows and Mirrors podcast. My name is Keith, and this is a podcast where we're trying to show you that the Bible is more like a window than it is a mirror. We come to it to see through it and to see God, not to it to primarily look at it and see ourselves. I'm super, super, super excited today, man, because, um, yo, this is the last day of the Old Testament. Like, this is so wild. We really started this, like, literally almost 10 months ago. And this is the last day of the Old Testament. So kudos, man. Congrats to you guys who are here with us. For those who are not here yet, when you get here yet, it'll be the same kudos. No judgment at all. But, man, we've gotten all the way to Malachi. And I'm just so hyped. Like, literally, man. Um, yeah, just thanking God for his grace. Uh, I'm proud of myself. Let me say that, too. Um, I don't think there's anything uh, non-humble about that. But, like, real talk, though, like, it is God's grace. Thank you so much. So many people have been so encouraging with the messages, with the words of encouragement. And so I love doing this. I'm so grateful that we're here. We're really at like one of the just milestones, man. Uh, the New Testament is so much shorter, as we know, than the Old Testament. So it'll just be crazy before you know it. We'll be done with the Bible. So, yeah, last day of the Old Testament and Malachi, like, finishes off with a bang, bro. Like, really, really good book as I studied it. Uh, just super, super encouraged by it. All right. So. Basically, he's going to summarize, Malachi is going to summarize the entire Old Testament, right? And the main thing God wants to get across in this book is that, yo, Israel has come back from exile and Malachi is about, you know, it's about 100, 100 years or so after they've come back from exile. The main thing that he's trying to get across in this book is that the exile didn't work, right? Israel went under God's judgment in exile and they still have hard hearts right they still have hard hearts and this guy malachi you know we don't know a ton about him but we know his name means my messenger right and that just shows you that this book has nothing to do with malachi as a person but everything to do with god and his person speaking to you know the people of israel and one of the things that he's going to say is like yo y'all back on y'all foolishness like y'all are on the same stuff Y'all were on before you guys left. They are restored back to the land. The temple is rebuilt. Exile is over. But, you know, the book, man, is just going to say, like, nothing has really changed. And, you know, it has a very neat little literary structure where it is centered on these six disputes that God has with his people. In the first half of the book, you know, he's just going to expose them. Right. And then the back half, he's primarily concerned with confronting them. And in many ways, again, this is a summary of the Old Testament where God is going to show himself or, or the people will show themselves to do the same things they've always done. Right. And so if you do the same things you've always done, you're going to get the same things you've always gotten. Malachi one starts off. And the people of God have questioned God's love for them. Right. So he says, yo, I've loved you, says the Lord. Yet you ask, how have you loved us? Wasn't Esau Jacob's brother? This is the Lord, the Lord's declaration. Even so, I've loved Jacob. Um, listen, one of the ways we can be sure that God loves us is by looking back at our election, right? How do we know you love us, Lord? Well, you chose us, right? God starts off talking about his love for his people because of the covenant relation, the fact that God has a relationship with us, that he chose to be in relationship with us in the same way we choose a spouse. How do I know my spouse loves me? Because she chose to be with me. Right. God chose us before we could ever choose him. And he's like, yo, 
I love you. And the book is actually going to flow out of this point. Remember, God chose Israel when he chose my man Abraham, told him to leave Ur the Chaldeans, come to a land he didn't know. He chose Abraham out of the world, right? And he, from Abraham, uh, Abraham had Isaac, Isaac had Jacob, right? He chose uh, Israel. Jacob's name is Israel. And, you know, that's how the Old Testament really gets going. That's how God brings forth his plan. And he's saying that here. And then the back half of the chapter, you know, is an indictment he's going to bring up against the priests in Israel. So Yahweh speaks about, you know, the way in which Israel has defiled the Lord's altar and dishonored him in his name. How? Well, the priests in Malachi's time were presenting blind, lame and sick animals <clears throat> to sacrifice before the Lord. So in other words, what happens here is this. In actuality, they shouldn't question God's love for them because they're in the land and like, yo, all the promises you made ain't coming to fruition. My God, like God, what's up? But they should question their love for God. Right. Listen, what they were doing, presenting these blind, lame and sick animals was a direct violation of Deuteronomy 15, Deuteronomy 17, Leviticus 22. So many texts, it violated the Torah. And to make it so bad, fam, this is this was the crazy part to make it so, so bad. They didn't just present lame and blind sacrifices to the Lord. They presented sacrifices that were stolen, right? So they basically came to church with stolen equipment, right? Like how terrible is this? Listen, the people of God, also, the reason they were doing this, the reason they were so lazy and laxed with the sacrifices they were bringing toward the Lord was because they seen the worship of God as a burden instead of a blessing, right? You know, it they seen it as simply a duty and not a delight, simply an obligation rather than an opportunity, a nuisance, annoying rather than a privilege. And listen, when we begin to see our worship this way, y'all got to hear this. When we begin to see our worship this way, we take shortcuts. We cut corners. We live in ways contrary to the Lord's word or we di completely disregard it at all. And God is saying, man. You guys have displeased me, right? And he goes on to say, you know, the time is coming when the nations of the earth will fear me. But however, as it stands, my own people don't. And it gets worse, right? He keeps going. Chapter two, he's like, yo, in light of that in chapter two, he's like, yo, man, if this stuff don't change, man, I'm going to treat you with contempt, right? Essentially. And he says, yo, you know, priests specifically, I will remove you guys from service and bring upon a curse. Right. Once again, God will go back to his covenant and say that, yo, like, let me jog your memory, fam. Like I made a covenant with Levi. Right. And I set them apart or Levi apart and his descendants to provide service priests at the temple and sanctuary and worship. And they were instructed with teaching the people of God, the word of God. Right. And, you know, one of the things you see here, man, is that God takes leadership. And instruction amongst his people so serious. Why? Because in some senses, man, the livelihood, the direction and the formation and the convictions and the beliefs of his people are shaped, nurtured and influenced heavily, even more heavily than we realize by those who are teaching. Right. And so God is like serious about that. And then, yo, it gets worse. So this part really, really, really rocked me, especially as a yeah, as people that know me, newly married man, you know. Israel, basically, in the back half of chapter two, was marrying foreign wives, right? That worshiped other gods in clear contradiction to what the Torah said as well. 
And even worse than that, fam, <laughs> this is wild. Cats were divorcing their wives. No, no, no. Like they, they didn't just, they, they didn't just single men like marrying foreign wives. It was cats who were married, Israelites who were married and said, yo, I'm divorcing my wife and I'm going to get a foreign wife who worships another God. This is like, like catastrophic level sin, right? Like this is so, he broke like 25 commandments in one act. You know what I'm saying? Like, yo, and again, though, once again, fam, this is a recapitulation or a, a, a redoing essentially of the whole story of Israel. Fam, remember Solomon, Solomon split the kingdom in half because he was on the same wave. And so, fam, we, we, we see, listen, we see not just the breaking of God's covenant vertically, but the breaking of God's covenant horizontally as well. Listen, and I could talk about this all day, like. Yo, the way in which our walk with the Lord in worship or lack thereof of him affects like every like it affects every single part of our lives. Right. And we have to notice, listen, the progression of the text. Now, they have these hard hearts towards the Lord, and that has led them to do away with their spouses. Listen, spousal. I want you all to hear this. Spousal fidelity is often intricately tied to spiritual well-being. Let me say that again. And louder for the people in the back. Spousal fidelity is often intricately tied to spiritual well-being. What do you mean, Keith? How many times have we heard, and this breaks my heart, how many times have we heard of man or woman leaving the faith first or just in an extremely rebellious place towards God and as a result they leave their spouse? How many times? And this isn't always the case. And there's obviously nuance and different situations. But, man, this has often been true in a lot of places. And we know for a fact it was true here in the nation of Israel. Marriage is a three-way covenant. Man towards woman, woman towards man, and both before and towards the Lord primarily. And if the relationship with the Lord isn't right, or, you know, if the relationship with the Lord isn't right, the marriage will suffer, right? And unfortunately, in some cases, terminate. If we turn our backs on God, if a man or woman turns their back on God, oh, it's easy to just turn your back on your spouse. And this is just the unfortunate fate, man, of Israel right now in this text. And my prayer, bro, like it literally is my prayer. I had to literally stop as I was thinking about this text. Um, May this not be so among the people of God. May this not be so amongst this generation and those listening today. May we keep our covenant with the Lord and our covenant with those whom he has placed us with. <sighs> Three and four is so much, man. I really could be all day. I'm going to try to move through this quickly. Um, You know. So much to say, you know, Malachi 3 is going to come. He says, see, I'm going to send my messenger and he will clear the way before me. Then the Lord you seek will suddenly come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant you delight in. See, he is coming, says the Lord of armies. Um, this is the day of the Lord that is going to be quoted at the beginning of each and every gospel. Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. When my man's John the Baptist comes or maybe Matthew, Mark and Luke, the synoptics, uh, my man, John the Baptist is going to come on the scene and prepare the way for the coming of Yahweh. And similar to what John will say, Malachi says here, right? He's like return, right? So John the Baptist is going to get on the scene. He's like, yo, uh, you know, prepare the day of the Lord. Lord is coming and he's preparing the way for Jesus. 
And he's like, repent. You know what I'm saying? And so Malachi's going to say the same thing. He's like, yo, return, repent, right? Repent of your crooked and evil and impressive ways. And he's like, God will return to you, right? That's that glimmer of hope that we always talk about in the prophets. Um, and the people ask, like, yo, how can we return to God? And God is like, yo, stop robbing me. <laughs> like, stop robbing me. Pay your tithes. And this word tithe just means tenth. Folks would, in this time, take a tenth of their offering or the tenth of, of, of what they have and provide an offering and contribution to the temple, uh, once again, uh, to fund the ministry of the priests, fam. And so all going back, it all goes back to the temple, all goes back to the worship, which was, you know, the center of the Israelite community. And, uh, and, you know, the spiritual state of people, it all goes back to the spiritual state of the people and what they did with their money. And God is like, yo, testing me with rebellion and grumbling and disobedience is wrong, but test me with faithfulness, test, test me with obedience and see what I'll do. See how I'll bless you. See how I'll care for you and see the ways I'll be kind to you or I have been kind to you as well. And, you know, funny thing is after this verse, you know what the people God say? They're like, yo, God, like. It is useless to serve God, right? Verse 14, you, you have said, this is God saying to them, you have said, it is useless to serve God. What have we gained by keeping his requirements and walking mournfully before the Lord of armies? Listen, one of the things the text is saying is our current difficulties and circumstances often lead us, as it did Israel, to conclude that there is no point in serving God. This was so, this was such a word. Um, they feel like, yo, as often as we do, like, what's the point? Right. Like nothing is changing. I'm not changing. All of the things you said in your word don't seem to line up with reality. And more than that, the arrogant and wicked prosper. They got money, a nice marriage, happiness, tons of followers on social media, influence platforms. Right. The whole nine yards. So, God, in other words, what is the incentive for me to obey? How does God respond? Wait. Right. The very end of chapter three, beginning of chapter four, he's like, wait. He says, wait on the day of the Lord. Verse five, look, I am going to sing you the prophet Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. Listen, the New Testament is going to tell us that Elijah, the Elijah that he's talking about promising to come, comes. Right. And who was it? John the Baptist. So in other words, he is the messenger that will prepare the coming of Yahweh, which is also called the day of Yahweh. Right. And then the verse will read <laughs> so subtle. I hope you caught it. The great and terrible day of the Lord. Don't miss that. Why would he call the day of the Lord great and terrible? Right? Those are two adjectives that aren't remotely synonyms, right? Well, this will be at the same time a day of blessing for God's people and a day of judgment for the wicked. What God is saying here is that in the last days, he will judge those who remain in rebellion toward him but he will also bless those who turn toward him in faith and repentance the beauty of this text is that this person that comes is the one who brings about the heart change and repentance we are looking for all throughout the old testament and his name is jesus he is the one who the entire redemptive story of scripture is centered upon and he will be the one who is and always will be God that fulfills the promises that the people were looking for and the hopes as well. Um, they, like we, they, like we, have to take God at his word, though, and wait in hope for his coming. Let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, just for your word, especially the Old Testament, God, and how it all points to Christ. We pray that we will wait in hope 
as the Israelites had to wait 400 years from this point till Christ comes. We know we have to wait to see him. But based on his first coming, we can have confidence in his second coming. We love you and we thank you. It's in Christ's name we pray.